Welcome to the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast. Working in the early years is busy, funny, messy and exhausting. Join me, Shana, some of the Twinkle EYFS team, special guest speakers and other early years practitioners as we talk honestly about our experiences. Whether you're listening for CPD, on your commute or to help you relax, Twinkle EYFS will share everything you need to know about all things early years. Hello lovely listeners, it's Shana here from the Twinkle Talks EYFS podcast, here today with a really exciting episode. We're going to be talking about something that I've never heard of until I found this amazing person on Instagram who I'm going to interview today for you. But before we get there, it's time for Twinkle Talks top three. Let's see what we're talking about this time. Okay, so the subject for this week's Twinkle Talks Top 3 is about alternative meanings for the letters E-Y-F-S. Now, I know I said three, top three, but there were so many good ones, I just couldn't decide. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read some out for you and you can decide what you think's best. Our very own Claire took part in this one and she says E-Y-F-S could stand for early years, farts and snack times. Yeah, she's not wrong. We've got another Claire who's joined in and she thinks it could stand for Ew, your farts stink. I'm sensing a theme here. Stacy Bernie has said, Easy, you friggin' serious? That was definitely a popular one. Jenny thinks it could stand for Exerting yourself for sprogs. Sprogs, that's cute. We also had some really lovely ones. Melissa Caulfield said, extremely young, friendly souls. Aww. Tracy, along with similar lines, says it could stand for every young face smiles. And Tracy Jane joined in by saying it could stand for each youngster's future shaped. Yes. And I'll leave you this funny one from Rachel Saunders. And she thinks EYFS could stand for everyone yells for something. Is, is, is that the kids or the staff? You okay? So there you are. Those are our top more than three alternative meanings for EYFS. I loved it. It was really cute. I had lots of fun and I hope you did too. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the term Gestalt Language Processor? No? Neither did I. That was until I came across Kathy on her Instagram page. Now, for those of us that don't know, Gestalt language processing is a normal part of language development that starts with whole memorized phrase as opposed to single words. So the basic unit of language for a GLP or a Gestalt language processor, the basic unit of language isn't a word. It's a chunk of language. For example, you're welcome is a typical gestalt or chunk, or you could even call it a script. Now, you may have also heard this referred to as delayed echolalia. 
That's just a little brief summary of what I've picked up so far, but let's hand it over to the expert, Kathy, for what guest chat language processing really means on a practical level, how you can spot it in your children in your settings or in your home, and what we can do to support them. for joining me today. I'm really excited actually to talk about uh, this subject that we're going to be talking about on this episode because it's something that is completely new to me and actually I didn't know about it at all until I found you on social media. So I am ready to be educated. Kathy, could you please introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? Tell us about who you are, what you do, how you got into it and your education journey. So um, I'm Kathy Schilling. I'm a speech and language therapist and I run a really little tiny company called The Speech Den, who are based in Gloucestershire. Um, I fell into speech and language therapy completely by accident as I had a friend whose brother had had a significant road traffic accident and was receiving speech and language therapy and occupational therapy. And at 18 years old, just about to go off to uni to study English literature. I said, stop, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do speech and language therapy. Wow. Yeah, so that was the start, um, which was a very long time ago because I'm quite old. And uh, <laughs> Wise is the word, wise. Wise, Wise, wise yes. in years, yes, yes. <laughs> and then when did I qualify? I qualified in 1991 and have been working as a speech and language therapist in lots of different settings, situations across the world um, over the past 30 years. But the last 20 years I've been based in Gloucestershire working with both preschool and school age children, anywhere from sort of two to 22. So yeah, so that's where I am. And then um, Gestalt language processors, uh, what we're going to be talking about today, those children um, and young people who process language differently was new to me as well. I had uh, an epiphany when I was driving in my car to a school visit about 18 months ago and I was listening to a podcast with Alexandria Zakos from Meaningful Speech and Meg Proctor from Learn, Play, Thrive, both of whom, if you ever get to listen to any of their podcasts or look at their social media, are really dynamic, interesting professionals with so much knowledge to gain from and experience. And I drove my car and I and I was listening and I thought, oh my goodness, this one, this little one that I'm working with, this one, this one. And my brain, you know, the neurons were literally firing off as I was driving in my car. So then I stopped, then I found out, then I joined the Meaningful Speech course. Um, I also contacted Marge Blanc, who was, you know, the, the starter of the uh, natural language acquisition framework. And that's where my journey all began. I mean, you've you've met some people. Look at you. (laughs) I love that empowering. You know what? I'm just going to message. I'm just going to message her. See what happens. And look what happened. Entrepreneurialship. I love it. And it is that, but it's also about passion, about Mm. passion for what you do, about spreading the word, about finding out that information. Because unbeknownst to me at the time, there were loads of speech and language therapists 
very much in my same in the same boat as myself. So there was an NHS service down in London, Elizabeth Loughton. There's uh, Julie Holmes, who um, is now over in Ireland. There's another lady called Katie Cummings, who's based up north. And all of us around the same time had started to find out about Gestalt language processors and the natural language acquisition framework. And it just made sense. It was just so crystal clear to me. So I joined the Meaningful Speech uh, online course. And after I'd done that, I thought, everybody in the UK needs to know about this. So that's when I contacted both Marge Blanc and Alexandria Zakos. And I did have that little tiny wheelie wobble like, oh, my goodness, these people are so they're, they're yeah. like huge, you know, <laughs> superstars in the land of speech and language therapy. But they're also just so professionally generous and as well as being dynamic and uh, with a huge wealth of knowledge and experience, they want to share. They want to get the message out there. And Alexandria very kindly agreed to come over to the UK and run two two day conferences for us. Wow. Uh, So we've got those coming up on the 12th, 13th of June in Cheltenham and then the 15th, 16th of June in Uh, London there will be a couple of places left for those who might be interested um, following on from this podcast but obviously it's going to be very short notice so we're going to be recording the Cheltenham conference and people can access that by a link that's on my website and on Alexandria's to the live recording of her two-day conferences. That's so exciting And we'll definitely talk about more at the end so people can get more information about what's going on, what's in there, how they get in. But it's just funny, isn't it? Like, here we are. And after all that amazing work that you've done, and now you're doing it too. You're like raising awareness. You're, you know, you're being that empowering voice. I mean, if if listeners, if you haven't seen Kathy on social media, her videos are great. I don't know. You're just like a social media superstar to me, but you're so informative, but you're also really engaging. And I think especially with complex theories or, you know, processes or things that happen, it's really difficult to make them engaging and make them approachable because you know, especially as early as practitioners, we've got so much to learn. We've got so much to, uh, you know, juggle, you know, in our hands. But I came across you and I was like, oh, hello, what is this? And it just, it got me. And then when you told me more about it, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Right. Okay. This does need to come out. And here we are. And I love it. So first things first, what actually is Gestalt language processing? What does that mean? So there's, two different types of language processor. We've got the traditional analytical language processors and we've got Gestalt language processors. And these two kind of like themes came about from research way back in the 80s by Anne Peters and Barry Prisant. And then Marge Blanc worked um, in a research role and a clinician role as a speech and language therapist with Gestalt language processors. And out of that, she produced her natural language acquisition framework. What is a Gestalt language processor? Well, they process language differently. We often refer to them as the intonation babies. They're learning language in whole chunks. And it's particularly related to perhaps a situation or an experience that's had an emotional reaction upon them 
that's made sense to them, that, that's kind of been stored and they've learnt a whole script. Um, sometimes we might refer to that as being echolalia. Yes. Yeah. They're learning language in big chunks often. So it might be something from Peppa Pig. Uh, it might be something from a movie. It might be something from Mr. Tumble. It might be a learnt phrase or a learnt chunk from um, a family member, from somebody at school. I always use the example of uh, one of the families that I'm working with. They've got a little boy who came out of nursery and he fell down and hurt himself and he's really upset. And mum picked him up and cuddled him and said, don't worry, darling, let's go go get some fish and chips. Oh, cute. And this was a period, you know, a particular episode where there was definitely an emotional kind of attachment to this moment. And he learnt this gestalt or this script as let's go get fish and chips. Now, he then subsequently used it when he needed a cuddle or was hurt. And it just goes to show that actually, you know, it highlights that let's go get fish and chips doesn't actually literally mean that. He's using that to explain that he's either hurt or he's emotionally sad and he needs some kind of comforting. And that's wow. what that gestalt meant. And so the gestalt language processes, you know, he's learned that as a whole chunk. And then he's also got, you know, when you then move on to um, mixing and matching the gestalt. So you then mix and match these little learnt phrases. So we might get a, instead of let's go get fish and chips, it might be let's play in the park. Mm. They link those two together. So they're mixing and matching the different scripts. Am I making sense? You really are. I'm picturing it all. I'm loving it. <laughs> And so there's very, you know, the children move through those stages. So what's different about Gestalt language processors is that they are learning a whole chunk. Right. Children who learn language, who are what we would describe as analytical language learners, learn perhaps some sounds and first words, single words. Then they learn to put those single words together. Then they learn to put, you know, two to three words together. And then we get this emerging grammar. Yeah. Gestalt language processors learn a whole gestalt, a whole chunk. They're, they're echoing back something that they've heard in the past. And then they move on to mix and match these scripts. This is what we call level two of the natural language acquisition framework, as I mentioned from Marge Blanc. Then you've got stage three. At stage three, they start really understanding that language has uh, more meaning and that these children are starting to and young people are starting to use language in terms of single words and maybe a two-word phrase it's not until stage four that children who are geshed out language processors are starting to really develop language in terms of attaching meaning specific meaning to each individual word and that's where we start to see this emerging grammar starting to appear in their spoken language wow that's really interesting what i'm envisioning is so an analytical language processor is like part whole they learn the parts and then put the whole together yeah but gestalt is just they have the whole first and then they work out the parts exactly what 
I don't want to feel like proud of myself or anything, but I'm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm learning. Okay. Okay. So as you was talking, I was thinking about, cause a lot of my friends now are having babies, which is very Ooh. exciting. And I get to see them grow and their language develop. So I was thinking, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a typical moment or, you know, a time in a baby's life more specifically when they're acquiring language that they do have echolalia. So for, you know, an example might be, um, when they drop something or something breaks, their parents all go, uh oh, and then a child will echo that every time something bad happens, or they learn that they get some attention from their parents. So they do things on purpose and say, uh oh, and know that they're going to get some attention. Yeah. And I, one of my friends, her little girl, her first word was cat because they've got two cats. Mum was very proud. She's a very much a very big cat lover. But she was then saying cat for everything because every time at the beginning when she said cat, Obviously, mum and dad would go, yay, well done. And she loved that reaction. And so she was, you know, echoing it everywhere because she thought, if I say this word, I'm doing good. So what's the difference then? Because obviously that's a very normal process for all kinds of language acquisition. So what's the what, what differentiates that from Gestalt language processing? It's what you're going to be hearing with Gestalt language processors is the intonation. So how that little girl has said it, your friend's little girl with cat, what's the purpose of her then repeating that back? The purpose of her repeating the word cat is to gain attention. Yeah. And to initiate an interaction. Our Gestalt language processors might also say cat and say it really regularly. But what you might observe with our Gestalt language processors is how they say that word. Are they saying cat? Because they've heard the intonation pattern from um, a television program, from a book, from a story, from a song, from their parents, etc. And also just saying it as a single word is how analytical language processors start. They learn single words and then they learn to join them. For most Gestalt language processors, they are learning language in a chunk, in a script. So it would be like, it's a cat. They might not say that. They might say, the cat says meow. Because they've heard that in a song, for example. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's interesting what you said about intonation, because... For example, I've experienced a lot of children that I'm now thinking, oh, perhaps they are GLPs, Mm -hmm. is the accent. So if they're watching a lot of American videos on YouTube or on television, they then speak with that same intonation. Is that that a similar thing? Absolutely. And sometimes um, with some of our Gashtart language processors, if they've picked up things, you can almost hear the same voice, uh, rhythmic patterns in, in what they're saying as well. That's really interesting. And are they able to adapt it or is it just simply echolalia? So that's the key. This is where we're going to use the natural language acquisition framework where we're wanting them. The sort of the first stage is where they are uh, using echolalia and they're repeating back a short phrase or a, a little script of something that they've heard. But we want to support them with linking that to another script Mm. so for example you know the the example that I gave you of let's go get fish and chips and he repeated that in the same way as his mum said that to him then he might have another script which is it's playtime or it's time to play 
So what we might then do is support him with that and say, yeah, let's go play. So you're combining the let's go get fish and chips with it's time to play and you're linking those two together, which is the stage two. That's blowing my mind. That's It obviously requires a lot of thought on like, you know, the adult's behalf of how to do that, right? It does. <laughs> but it's also about, it's called the natural language acquisition framework because we want natural language. Yeah, for sure. It's very neurodivergent affirming. It's very child-led So we're not trying to prompt, none of this is prompted. It's it's meant to be natural. What we do want to be thinking about is phrases that are easy to mix and match. So sort of phrases such as let's, there's a look, are really good opportunities to, you know, for mixing and matching, as well as thinking about the different functions. So both um, Marge Blanc and Alexandria Zakos in their trainings explain how we might look at a child's language in terms of what they're saying, but also then what the meaning is and what the function is, because we want to give them as many different opportunities to communicate. So for example, we might want them to be able to communicate for self-advocacy. So we might In our play, if they're sort of pushing away, we might say, stop it. I don't want it or make it go away or it hurts. Those kind of things um, would be really good gestalts to model in that type of play because that enables a child to communicate an emotion, communicate a feeling and help them to self-advocate. Oh no, it's do- I'm loving this because I while you're talking, it's reminding me of things that I've been doing as a teacher, but not even realizing that this is part of the process. So yeah. those phrases that we can model. So I will remember, you know, I would have a couple of children who really struggled with social interactions and couldn't articulate that they wanted something to stop. So for example, you know, there was a, a child who loved Lego, absolutely brilliant at it as well. But they just wanted to make this very specific model. All the children want to come and play and they say, share, share, share. And sometimes, you know what? There's not always an opportunity to share. Sometimes you don't have to share all the time. Like he's working on a project and he's allowed to do that independently. But he he didn't know how to articulate that. And then he would get very emotional, very cross and sometimes physical. And so I would just naturally teach him, it's okay. Put your hand out and say, no, thank you. No, thank you. And he was copying and he did that. And that was his way of telling people, back off. All right, this is my Lego project. I don't want your hands up. This is mine. Like, I don't want help. This is my independent time. And that was his, he was able then to build that little bridge of communication. I then had to, would obviously teach the children around him and go, when he does that, that means you need to leave him alone. That means he wants some alone time. So respect that and go. And actually what was really nice then, Shana, was what you said naturally and I think actually what we need to with our gestalt language processes is to be absolutely natural with it so instead of prompting say to them I I don't want that you went into no this is mine and actually that's the natural Ah. it's kind of like getting into your child's head about really what they are trying to communicate and make it as natural as possible 
So we're not prompting them in any way, absolutely intrinsically motivating of something that they would want to say. So we're not asking them to repeat back. We're not asking them to copy. We are modeling that language. And whilst we're modeling it, one of the key things about supporting Gestalt language processes is silence, which is really hard for us enthusiastic communicators. <laughs> right. But actually, our GLPs need silence. They need time to process what you've just said. Lots of our GLPs also think in a Gestalt processing way. So they think in whole chunks as well. So when the, when he's playing or she's playing with her um, Lego and they want to build this model, that is what they always do because they've learned that as a whole chunk. I always make this. This is what I do at this time of day. And when we try to intervene with that, it can be really, really confusing and really stressful for those yeah. children to create huge anxiety because you are breaking up their whole thoughts of how they want to play that activity. Okay, my mind is blown. That is, <laughs> it totally makes sense. Because he, it wasn't a reaction of, I don't, you know, it wasn't being, you know, I don't want to play everybody. I could see how anxious he was getting because he had this vision in his mind and he just wanted to let it, get it out. And it's like, yes, give it, leave him, no, thank you. Leave him alone. Get, let him do this thing. But that's, that's why that's so interesting. Yeah. And it can be the same, you know, we think about routines with children. And yeah. so for example, a child going into nursery, every day they go into nursery, um, somebody greets them at the door. They hang their coat up and then as we're trying to support them with feeling happy with this, you know, the, the new setting or, or, yeah. or whatever, we do the same activity every day. And say, for example, I don't know, it's bricks and you've got Duplo out. Okay, so they come in, they put the coat on the peg, they're greeted by the same person, the same person takes them into the room and then we've got a lovely tray of Duplo because we know that's one of their preferred interests of which we're really trying to establish with them is what their preferred interests are so that we can make that child feel really comfortable. And then one day, it's not Duplo. We've decided to go for stickle bricks or we've gone for wooden blocks. And actually, that's disrupted that whole child's gashed out mm. how they see the whole process of coming to into the setting right and so then what we might observe and we might we see a behavior because that behavior is communicating that this is making me feel really anxious this is not allowing me to complete what I'm wanting to do right it's like it's breaking the mirror isn't it it's sh completely shattering that entire picture view of what they had in their mind was going to happen yeah and it's it's literally it's earth shattering and then it's trying to pick up the pieces yeah. where actually you know for analytic processes it's actually we're doing the day piece by piece so if one drops off it doesn't matter it's you know they can adapt quicker yeah. but for gestalt it's boom the whole picture's gone we've got to start again and that's a lot and actually sometimes what we're better to do in those scenarios is create a routine that is really different mm. rather than one aspect different yes because then it's not about that picture that they've already got it's creating almost like a new gestalt for them I feel like I'm just I'm learning so much here I love this I really geek out at these things so it's great so 
For our parents who are listening, our carers, our practitioners, if we suspect we might have a child that is a Gestalt language processor, what kind of things do we look out for? What are the what are the things we should be looking for? So I guess the work by the research done by Barry Prizant suggests that 85% of autistic children are Gestalt language processors. Really? Yeah. We may not realise this because sometimes by the time we meet young autistic children, they have already gone through stage one, two, three, and they're on stage four or five. So it may not be apparent to us in the early years setting. What kind of things might you observe goes back to this scripting. They may be using whole chunks of language. For example, I've got a lovely boy that comes to see me in a preschool setting. And um, when we were playing with the bubbles, he said, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your bubbles. Oh my God, that is just adorable. <laughs> so, um, you know, and he, his mum would write down all of his like language sample and it was really, and you could see where things had come from and she, she would then put next to it, oh, this was something that he's watched from the Paw Patrol. This was yes. something that his dad said. This was, you know, and she could identify what was from this book. Other, some of my children are scripting from books, favourite books, favourite songs. Off, songs can be used really effectively with our Gestalt language processors. But the things to look out for, sorry, going back to your question, <laughs> is the intonation. And remember, Sometimes in the past, I might have written in one of my reports before I became educated and understand, understood about Gestalt language processes, I might have written jargon. This child is using jargon. Right. But actually, if we really listen out, what we can hear is lots, you know, when... When children first start talking and we think about an analytical language learner, they're just using single words. Now, those single words may not be that clear. So, for example, instead of saying bottle, they might say bobo. So at that young stage, the child hasn't yet learned all the sort of sound patterns and phonological patterns necessary to build their their language well that's the same with gestalt language processors so sometimes we can't actually understand the script but what we can hear is the rhythm and the intonation that matches something that we've already heard before and it's our job to be the detective and this is really really important with gestalt language processors is not to take what they're saying literally. So for example, like I said, it's time for fish and chips or let's go get fish and chips. We don't take that literally because it's then being used in another context. We have to be detectives to work out, well, what could that be? So if your children are using strings of highly intonational speech, which is either clear or unclear or if they, for example, are non-speaking and they're using, say, a tablet or a device and they're playing back the same phrase, okay, that they're not yet speaking, but they might be indicating that they are a Gestalt processor by pressing the button that says the same phrase over and over again. So it doesn't necessarily 
just need to be verbal language. That is such an important point because even me listening, I was victim to that. I thought, yeah, of course, we've got to look out for our speakers, but language is so much more than that. It's a it's a language process. So how what are the signs for spotting on nonverbal guest out process is it just the repetitive actions yeah and it could be it could be what i also just described like lots of strings of sounds sort of that are highly intoned that may sound like a song might sound like something that you you know we really need to tune in we need to really listen to our children really observe them so that we can work out where is it coming from and not take it literally because invariably that's not what it means but what we all the most important thing is to whatever they are trying to communicate whether that be via pressing a button Peppa Pig fell down for example if they're pressing that button on that part of the um, Peppa Pig episode it might mean that they want to get some exercise and jump around and do something for yeah. example or it might be that that child is has picked something up from another program which means that they're hungry or they're thirsty or that they're frightened or it could you know we we mustn't take these things literally we need to be the detectives to work out but the most important thing is to acknowledge that could be a nod it could be a yes it could be repeating back what they've said Um, It could be repeating back what they've said and then a kind of like interpretation in some way of that as well. But the most important thing is to acknowledge any attempt at communication. And that also is the same with those non-speaking children who might be pressing a button over and over again that represents, you know, what they're trying to communicate. Yeah, so important. Also, there are other children who aren't autistic who are Gestalt language processors. Right, that was going to be my next thing because it, I, I wanted to ask, Is obviously there's a very strong link for autistic uh, learners, but what about other learning processes or learning difficulties or just learning needs? Is there, is there a link to GLP and additional needs or can anybody be a GLP? So anybody can. I'm working with um, a little girl at the moment who isn't autistic, but she definitely learns language in chunks. And actually her mum, when I was um, explaining Gestalt language processing to her mum, her mum said, actually, this is really interesting because I'm pretty sure that my older daughter learnt language in this way as well. Yeah. And has then gone on to read in this way so rather than through the whole kind of phonic building blending her older daughter has learnt language in chunks and and neither of them are um, autistic and that's something else to watch out you know to, to be mindful of with our uh, GLPs is that some of them can also be hyperlexic what we mean by that is that they are you know learning to read far in advance of what they've actually been taught and they're learning in big chunks as well and that can be another kind of indicator that they might be a GLP because they're learning things as a whole and that's become really apparent with lots of the little the ones that I'm working with and kind of helps us think also about how we need to include visual information for well any of our young children but particularly our GLPs. Yeah. And you know what? It's also making me aware of how 
much more inclusive we perhaps need to be in terms of language development, reading development, because say, for example, phonics. Phonics is great, but this is clearly indicating to me that it doesn't work for everybody. That doesn't mean if you don't use phonics, it doesn't mean you're not going to learn how to read. Clearly, guest child language processors are learning to read. It's just a different way. So how are we giving them that space in our settings if we're just completely focusing on phonics you know are we giving other opportunities to learn from that whole you know that top-down method that GLPs rely on and that's how they see the world that's really interesting actually food for thought but you were I know in your settings that you do do this because think about all the little pictures and labels that you have around the setting you visual timetables you know when you're doing song time how the words also come up underneath if you're reading you've got the book and you've got the words underneath so actually there's things that we are all already doing in our day-to-day practice just like you said oh actually that reminds me of a time but I guess it's being aware that it's more purposeful. Mm. So I can remember the first girl that I ever came across way before I knew about Gestalt language processors came into school. This is probably about eight years ago. And she was able to recite the alphabet. That was how she would start the interaction as she liked to recite the alphabet. And I knew that that made her feel calm and focused. And I, sometimes I would sing along with her. And other times I would then get Um, She really liked my alphabet puzzle or my alphabet book, but she very quickly was reading without any phonic teaching or using any kind of phonological awareness skills that she'd been sort of pre early literacy skills, but she was learning to read really, really early on. And whilst I knew about hyperlexia then, I didn't know about Gestalt language processing as I do now. For for our um, Gestalt language processors, obviously you've illustrated amazingly how it affects their language and their thinking. Does that also then affect how they see the world, how they approach other things like maths or geography or, you know, does it, is it just how they see the world? Is it just how they process information? Yeah. So it might be that they Uh, some of our Gestalt language processors might um, pick out a specific detail that we haven't necessarily. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like the whole thing. So it does, you know, we do need to think about how we present things to our children. You know, thinking about if they're playing with something and they've got a specific way that they like to play or in my session, if I know that there's preferred interest, I might have, say, two things that are always consistent in the session and then I might just drop in one that's new yeah so I suppose then it would make sense to talk about how okay so we've we've spotted these uh, kind of behaviors these indicators what can we then do to support our GLP children whether we're at home whether we're out and about whether we're in an educational setting what can we do to support them so from a communication perspective Firstly, any form of communication we need to acknowledge. I talked a lot about silence. This is absolutely crucial for our Gestalt language processors. If we start talking and over-narrating, we're not giving lots of things. We're not giving them opp- these children opportunity to process the spoken language. We're kind of directing then their play in some way. And so we're not really being authentic to their interests. 
So we want to respond to their gestalts, to if they're scripting, we want to respond to those scripts. We want to acknowledge them. We want to repeat them. But we also need then to be quiet. And that's one of the things that I've really learned from my sessions with working with this group of children is not saying too much, is waiting for them. And it's really, really, really hard to do. If your child is um, still using echolalic speech, still repeating whole scripts, if that the child that's in your setting is at that stage, the other big piece of advice is don't ask any questions. Oh, interesting. Because they haven't yet learnt about language representing specific words. And so... If we're asking questions, we're putting quite a lot of pressure on them to respond when they don't yet have the language ability to do that. What are we going to do instead? So instead of saying, do you want to drink? We might say, I'm thirsty. I need a drink. Or we might say, let's get a drink. So can you also hear in my voice my intonation? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to change, stop using questions and use more declarative language like let's do this. So making sure that we also use lots of intonation in our spoken language, but not too much. (laughs) You're speaking to earliest practitioners here. We love to we love to change up our voice, you know, (laughs) we, we want we want lots of changing up of voices. But what we don't want is too much talking. We need to give that child time to process But time also to, you know, thinking about what they're doing with their play, to engage in their play how they want to do it, not how we perceive them wanting to do it. So that's really, really, we need to think about sensory preferences, setting up situations. So, for example, one of the children that I like, uh, that I'm working with, really, really loves the the water beads. And that's one of his sensory preferences. He loves the feel. They're cold. They're, they're wet and slimy. I personally I, don't like them. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> you know, he's a huge fan. So that's what we go with. And another little one that I go in to see, her sensory preference is for movement. She wants to get her vestibular system going. So actually, our session is sometimes spent playing chase, running around, sort of lots of people games as well. Sometimes it's just really good not to have a plan. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And that's really hard, I think, sometimes as professionals, is that We've got to follow the the early learning goals or we've got to be the speech and language therapist with a plan. Actually, no plan is good because what the plan is, is to follow their lead, is to watch what they're doing, pick up on what they're doing with the occasional bit of language. So going back to what I was you know, saying about um, not saying too much, but if they're playing with a car, for example, we might say, wee! you know or let's push the car you know that yeah. kind of thing car go yeah those kind of things but not too many you know I would just use one of those and then create silence and just you know like oh this is fun I love it you know so you're creating opportunities to create that emotional resp- you know we're we're talking about emotional responses to situations where that sort of supports the language to develop as well and um, we're not prompting we're not leaving gaps either for them for the child to fill in because that's prompted language lots of child-led play lots of silence yeah <laughs> 
using intonation, thinking about scripts that could easily be then mixed and matched. That's really great. Try not to ask questions. It is so hard to do. It's so interesting that you say that because I remember I was doing speech and language stuff on my last teaching job where I would go through all of nursery and reception classes and just help the children who were considered working towards in communication and language. And we'd use this program and we'd get their language up. And there was this very clever, bright girl. I wouldn't say that I could see any learning educational needs there, but for some reason her, her teacher noticed that as bright as she was, she couldn't answer a question. And it was really strange to the teacher. And she thought, okay, I need to get Shana here because I don't know what's going on because she can do the work. She interacts with children really well. Her language seems great. But if I ask her a question, she has no idea how to answer it. And to be honest, when I was doing the speech and language therapy sessions with her, I was like, I don't know either. Like I talked to her, she's able to do the activity. She can talk to me about things that she likes. She's imaginative and creative with language, but she can't ask questions. Now the light bulb's just gone in my head because she processes language differently and that's it we just needed to give her time and just stop asking her questions <laughs> just frame it in a different way <laughs> and I think actually the not asking too many questions I think that is for both our GLPs and our analytical processes yeah. those young children who you know are still in the early stages of development far better to comment use declarative language like oh wow it's a oh my you know look that kind of thing. Wow. I love it. Isn't it strange that we're encouraged to ask children questions to check their learning? It just Absolutely. seems so backwards. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, there's a time and a place for, for both things. Yeah. But, you know, if we're thinking about top tips about how we can help our young children who are GLPs, those would definitely be it. And I think there's a wealth of information. I mean, you found me on Instagram. You know, I obviously use Facebook as well. But that's how I found out about Gestalt language processing was through social media, was through following, uh, first of all, Meg Proctor through Learn, Play, Thrive. And then I found Alexandria Zakos. And then through Alexandria, I found Marge Blanc. And then I also then started following other speech and language therapists. Uh, so Boho Speechy and June SLP. I then found the Sensory SLP. She's amazing as well. Plus all of our homegrown amazing speech and language therapists and um, occupational therapists as well. But there's a wealth of information out there. So exciting. And of course, we've got you as well now, Cathy. <laughs> we can come to you because clearly I've learned so much in just this episode. It's great fun. Speaking of fun, are you ready to play a little game? I am. <gasps> Yay! Because you have taught us so much today and uh, we wanted to play a little game just to end the session to end the episode and it's something we always play with our guests it's called would you rather teacher edition and we've picked the question specifically for you so i hope you're ready oh yeah <laughs> okay <Go> for it <laughs> they're not like stats questions or anything don't worry okay. um <laughs> first one is always the same would you rather tea or coffee oh so easy coffee of course oh black no sugar, four cups before midday every day. Oh my, you you are hardcore coffee. 
Absolutely. And I'm a coffee snob as well. If I see a jar, mm-mm-mm. no instant in your cupboard, no then. Instant, no, absolutely not. <laughs> all right. I won't invite you over for coffee. Like I was going to just hide all the jars. Okay. Well, that was easy. That was a good quick one. Now, this one I am particularly interested in because you came up with this one. Would you rather avocado or licorice? Oh. What's the story very, here? Very clear. So it's my food love and my food hate oh oh okay yeah so I hate licorice me too my goodness it's disgusting it's the smell of it Mm. so if my partner when we're in the car starts eating it he'll buy like licorice sweets oh yeah want to vomit whereas avocado Oh my goodness, I love it. I love it so much. I could have it with every single meal. Oh, stop, me too. Like it's a breakfast, lunch, brunch, dinner state. Like you can do it with, one of my colleagues um, before made me have like an avocado smoothie thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it was divine. Yeah, absolutely. It tasted like ice cream. Yeah. It it was amazing. And I've made a dessert with avocado. A really healthy chocolate moussey dessert, which is divine okay can you like share the recipe in an email thank you oh my god (laughs) okay now I'm really hungry that's great that's great I'm totally with you avocado is life licorice can go in the bin that's totally fine with me for the final question it's more about the resources and the toys that you get to use with your lovely students so would you rather have your crab toy or your rocket balloons definitely rocket balloons every time I mean what do you do with both of them tell me so my crab toy is a little plastic crab with eyes that roll it makes a little tune and it moves sort of crawls or sidesteps in a crab-like way sounds exciting and for many of the young children that I'm working with it's highly motivating this toy however Uh uh-oh it's one of those toys that doesn't have an on-off switch. So you need to have it somewhere where it's not being touched by anything because if it is, it sets it off. And it's <laughs> this really annoying sound. And then, the, and it doesn't stop. It has to go through the whole sequence. Oh, no. Rocket balloons are those long, thin balloons that you use a straw with and you blow them up and then you let them go and they whiz up to the ceiling and they make a great noise. Yeah. And I would say lots of my young children, this is like one of these intrinsically motivating activities that I might think about introducing into one of the sessions that creates lots of opportunities for communication. Obviously got to be a bit careful because it does make a sound and sometimes that can be slightly scary. Yeah or too much for their sensory systems but I would say the majority of the children that I work with absolutely love it and it could be any pupil that I'm working with that is so cute actually it reminds me when I worked in a um, a specialist school we would often do that blow up balloons and just let them go and like you say it's very polarizing they either loved it or hated it but the kids that loved it it, it was just brilliant because every time it let off, you know, you, you can't really control where it goes or what happens or what sound it makes. And it was just wonderful to see how they react each time. And yeah, and yeah that's so the cute. The rocket balloons are even better because they whiz around. Oh. And you don't know where they're going to end up either. <laughs> On so, your head. like Yes, absolutely. <laughs> 
That's cute. I think I want to try some of these. These sound great fun. I'd love to come to a session. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it's about is having fun. It really Always. is. And that's the thing, you know, with any of any child with a speech and language delay, with a speech and language difference, we always want to make our sessions fun and child-led, not adult-led. I love it. Amen to that. What a way to end. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's been amazing talking to you today, Kathy. I've learned so much, had loads of fun. I feel really inspired, actually, to kind of go and do these things and spread the word like you are. But if our lovely listeners want to learn more, where can we find you? So my website is The Speech Den and it's just www.thespeechden.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and I post regularly, not just about GLPs, but by various aspects of speech language and communication. We have next week got our GLP conferences in Cheltenham and in London. They're both two days long and Alexandria Zakos from Meaningful Speech is coming over from the States to present and I am so excited. They're <laughs> like, this celebrity is yeah. after the event, if people aren't able to make it to the event and they're, you know, it's perhaps just too short notice for them that this is their first opportunity to hear about Gestalt language processors. There's two things they could do. They could go on our website or Alexandria's website and purchase a copy of the recording, which is a professional recording of the Cheltenham Conference. Alexandria also has a whole heap of information on her website and various different courses available, as does Marge Blanc on her Communication Development Centre website as well. Follow, look up these people on Instagram and Facebook they're really inspirational. As a sort of offshoot of the conference, because I want to spread the word alongside some of my other very learned colleagues, I'm going to set up a page so that both professionals and parents can find somewhere to find information in the UK, because there's a lot out in the US and in Australia. We want to get it heard here in the UK so that parents know where to go to and can find the right people and I think what's really lovely about the conferences is that there's a real mixture of both independent speech and language therapists and NHS speech and language therapists we've got nearly 400 people coming to the conferences and also parents so we're kind of like hoping to create a community where information can be shared, people can support one another. And it's just really exciting times ahead. It really is. And I was thinking as well, like, you might not just learn things about your your students or your children. Like you say, anyone can be a guest out language processor. You actually might learn so much about yourself and about how you process things. And imagine how many GLP teachers we, we could currently have Uh, in the UK that we don't even know about it like how good is that because obviously our GLP children need that in their teachers they need to see that so that they feel understood and that they can see it's just 
it's just how people learn it's fine exactly but I hope that there's been some useful information for people and, and at least we've kind of like signpost people where to go to if they want any more information we are going to be organizing some shorter trainings as well in the next academic year so watch this space <gasps> that's exciting yes and I'll put all of the links to all of your socials and your websites that you've mentioned in the episode description as well so you're just one click away Kathy just one click away Brilliant. I love Thank it you. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and having to chat about GLP. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jana. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Great. Thank you so much, Kathy. Honestly, I learned so much in that one episode. And I was thinking back to so many stories of when I was a teacher and, you know, I was noticing different patterns in my children, but didn't quite know what that pattern was and what it represented. And now hopefully you will be able to do that too. Also, if you think that you are a Gestalt language processor, let us know, come and get in touch and tell us your experience of language learning. And that includes phonics, reading, writing, communication of all sorts, because what you share with us could just help another teacher or another student. If you want to find out more about Gestalt language processing, go to the episode description where I've put all the links that Kathy was talking about in there. Go and follow her. She's got some really cool stuff on her Instagram. And doesn't her conference sound exciting? That's great. Get those tickets while you can. And until next time, I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll see you very soon. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you would like to join in or would like to know more, then come and find us on our social media sites. We have a Facebook page, Facebook groups, an Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube. All the links of where to find us will be in our podcast description. Come and join the conversation. And whatever you're doing today, I hope you have a great day. <laughs>